What is the uterus doing when it's not preparing to have babies, gestating babies, birthing babies, or recovering from having babies? That question is seldom asked in a society that has come to value the womb primarily for its role in reproduction. In the eyes of the industrialized Western world, the uterus is only of interest when it fulfills its promise of new life, a vessel for the next generation, rather than an entity worthy of study and consideration in and of itself. The womb in its mature, fertile prime holds endless fascination for science and society alike, with every generation of researchers probing anew the double-edged dilemma of infertility and contraception, the mysterious ebb and flow of menstruation, and the apparent miracle of pregnancy and birth, from minuscule cluster of cells to bawling infant. But what's the womb doing when it's just hanging out? The question seems both mundane and radical, suggesting the possibility that the uterus at rest could be worthy of examination, and that in turn the organ may be of some intrinsic value to its owner above and beyond reproduction. If we are to make any serious effort to explore the uterus out with the context of childbearing, then it makes sense to begin at the beginning, in infancy. It may be uncomfortable to think about the uterus of a baby girl, but before we do so, I'd ask you to sit with that discomfort for a moment and interrogate it. Why shouldn't we think about the anatomy and physiology of an organ in its neonatal state? When a female is born, her tiny uterus is simply that, an organ. Not yet fertile, not yet reproductive, not yet subject to the many ideals, taboos, and emotions we later project onto it, nor bound by the social norms and innumerate laws we will soon use to regulate and restrict its functions. This organ, smooth, pink, new, and vital, is just there, thrumming with the pulse of its owner, as neutral and mute as a lung or a liver. As we imagine this little womb, I'd argue that the unease we may feel says more about our society's sexualization of young women and girls than it does about the organ itself. To contemplate the infant uterus is to be a hair's breadth away from the infant vagina, which, too, is just there, existing, minding its own business. And in a world in which girls are sexualized and stereotyped at ever younger ages, such thoughts can invoke fury, prurience, and shame. But here, on these pages, we are ready to look at the uterus at rest. Even the infant uterus, nestled snugly in its little pelvis, with a clear, inquisitive, and untroubled eye. As one might imagine, there are relatively few studies of the neonatal womb compared to those of the mature adult version. What few papers there are tend to comment fleetingly on the young organ's size and shape, rather than what might be going on inside it. And so we start with these simple dimensions, shaped like a tube or a spade, rather than the classic inverted teardrop of its adult form, the infant uterus may be 2.5 to 4.5 centimeters long and approximately 1 centimeter thick. In its very earliest hours after birth, the neonatal womb and its lining are still influenced to a certain extent by maternal estrogen and progesterone, but these levels tail off in the first week of life, often resulting in a moment of startling fear for which many new parents are completely and utterly unprepared. The arrival of the pseudomensis, or false period. In my time working as a midwife on the postnatal ward, 
I became accustomed to new mothers approaching me at all hours of the day and night, pale and panicked, brandishing various unlikely bits of detritus from delivery. A clot saved on a pad for examination, a stray piece of suture material found in a gusset, but none provoked as much alarm as the tiny nappy streaked with pink. My daughter's bleeding, they would exclaim, simultaneously embarrassed and concerned, and often more than a little bit disgusted. What these women had noticed was a normal physiological process about which, like so much of female life, nobody had warned them. Just as the mother's pregnancy hormones have caused a temporary thickening of the lining of her daughter's tiny womb, so as those levels of inherited estrogen and progesterone diminish after birth, that little lining sloughs away and leaves the child's body in the form of what is essentially a mini-period, only without an egg or any potential for pregnancy.